Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Nudie Brains Podcast. My name is Emily, and I'm the host. Sorry I've been away for a little while. Things have gotten a little bit crazy with thesis writing and figuring out what's next for me. So I apologize that I've taken a little bit of a break, but I hope to be posting a little bit more regularly coming up in the next few months here. Um, But today I have a wonderful interview with Holly, who is an amazing marine scientist. Um, Not only does she do research and things like that, but she has spent a lot of time on boats, which is absolutely amazing. Her story is super interesting, and I really hope you enjoy this podcast. If you do, don't forget to subscribe um, and Let's see. What else do I say? See, it's been so long. Leave a rating. um, And I hope that you come back soon. Thanks so much. I'll do better next time. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being on my podcast today, Holly. Of course. Um, So let's jump right into the questions. Do you have a favorite invertebrate? Oh, boy. So I do love invertebrates, and it's really hard to narrow it down to one. But if I had to, I would, you know, focus on, like, the mollusca phylum, and I really love cephalopods, so like octopus, squid, I've been definitely geeking out over bobtail squid and all that recently, but they're just so cool. Yeah, they are really cool, and they're so intelligent too, so that's a really great answer. <laughs> Why did you start studying science? Well, when I was little, I originally wanted to be a veterinarian, because I thought that that was a better way to be a veterinarian, and handle animals and I was always like fascinated watching like National Geographic documentaries and we got the magazine so I would just ooh and ah every picture I saw. (laughs) Cool. Um, And then once I started you know getting into like middle school and really looking more into science I really liked wildlife stuff and I realized it was more than just domestic and then the minute I started learning about the ocean my mind was like well, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. And you weren't raised by the ocean, I'm assuming, then. Oh, no. I was born in Nebraska, and I grew up in northwest Indiana. Okay, yeah. So far. <laughs> far away from the ocean. <laughs> so, I mean, Lake Michigan is pretty big. You look across it, and it kind of looks like an ocean, but not salty, and there's no sharks. Yes, definitely. Well, that's awesome. And then actually, so I was stalking you on Instagram earlier and I saw that you went to Eckerd and I almost went to Eckerd too. I like very seriously considered it. Um, Did that, like, what took you from Indiana to Florida? Well, I knew after doing a little bit of research, I knew that Eckerd had a really great marine science program. And my parents and I, during my senior year of college, we had fall break and we drove... 20 hours down to go visit oh my um, gosh Eckerd and like a couple of other colleges in the area and once I got on campus and like talked to some of the professors and got to meet my future soccer coach because I played soccer there I just was sold on the environment in general that's awesome and did so I know that at the dorms at Eckerd you could have an animal with you did you have an animal in your dorm with you Unfortunately, I didn't. I wish I did, but I was a student athlete all four years. In my fourth year, I added on beach volleyball to that. Oh, my gosh. So I would have felt so bad. I wouldn't have been able to 
I wouldn't have had time to really give an animal so much love and care. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So I know since you graduated, um, you've been working in both research and education. Do you want to touch briefly on that? Like, what are you researching? In what capacity do you do education? I know you spent a long time on a boat recently. (laughs) I did. Well, right after Eckerd, I was back home in Indiana living with my parents for quite a bit, trying to find, you know, the next job, something that was focused in the marine environment. So... A lot of people out there understand how difficult that can be at some times. Yes. And I found an internship position down at Cape Luthra Institute. And some people have heard of the Island School as well. Uh-huh. And that was incredible because I was the flat ecology and conservation intern. So I got to do some amazing research with a girl that was working on getting her master's at the time, studying bonefish, albula vulpes. Hmm. And we were looking essentially at their population, how they were working with the environments around them. And it was a lot of very long research days, but (laughs) super fun doing essentially surgical implants with acoustic transmitters to track where these fish were moving around the island. That's super interesting. We were trying to contribute to work to help create marine protected areas in the Bahamas. That's awesome. Yeah, so getting to do fish surgeries and learn how to suture on an orange peel. <laughs> and it's it's really, really neat. It was something that definitely made me go, okay, I am doing something that I really like. I love the research aspect. And I got to help out with the other research teams there. So we had turtle research going on, and the shark team was doing research, and the coral reef ecology. So I got to really dip my feet into a bunch of different studies that were being done. That's and so cool. also when I was down there, I was working on our plastics research. So we'd go out and we would do surface trawls of the water, like surface sands of the water, and try and see how much plastic we could find in the surface water. Oh, and that's then so along sad. with that, we would also go deep sea fishing, and we'd catch like um, mahi, tuna, wahoo, any kind of large sport fish, and we'd go through their stomach content to try and see if they had ingested any plastic. Interesting. Those were some really, I was definitely not the one that smelled the best out of our (laughs) group of researchers there, kind of constantly covered in fish guts, but it was incredible and really cool because then I got to kind of incorporate all that research into teaching. So there were high school students that were down there at the time, and they took part in a research class, and they helped out with that bonefish research and with the plastics research. So that was me really getting to not just do the research, but learn the field work and learn what was going into the research being done, and then quickly transfer that into teaching it. That's so cool. And that definitely, like, it made me realize that if no matter what I'm doing in regards to the marine environment, like I have to be able to communicate this. I have to be able to teach it because I mean, even my parents are very smart, but they aren't science focused or anything. So explaining to them this research in a way that they're going to understand, that doesn't sound like condescending. Yeah. (laughs) I think that that's really important for, I mean, all scientists. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even my parents are fairly science-minded. They're doctors, but we work in totally different realms. You know, it's like, it's just so crazy. So that's really, really cool. And then what brings you out on the boats now? 
Well, I had an AmeriCorps position that I served off the coast of Georgia on Jekyll Island. I worked on the Georgia or at the Georgia Sea Turtle Center and <laughs> got to do a lot of like husbandry work with that. And I led our marine debris program. So a lot of beach cleanups and going out and teaching the public. But then when I was looking for my next position after that, I found an AmeriCorps position for World Ocean School uh, aboard a 93-at-the-time-year-old vessel called the Roseway. So I had never sailed a day in my life. (laughs) And when I was applying for this job, I was, it was like, all right, what's your sailing experience? And I put none, and then all of a sudden, I get an email, like, we'd love to set up a phone interview. Oh, my gosh. the phone interview, and when they asked the sailing, I was like, I I have no sailing experience. I've never done this before. Yeah. Then I go to the next interview, and I did they didn't even ask me. I just reminded them, and they're like, don't worry. You can learn how to sail, but (laughs) we want the science part of it and the teaching. And so that was incredible. I started on that ship down in St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And spent a year aboard that vessel. We were down in St. Croix, and then we went all the way up to Gloucester, Massachusetts, to do some maintenance on the ships in the yard. And then we were in Boston doing programs over the summer. And then we took part in a nine-week sail with 21 high schoolers all the way from Boston down to Puerto Rico. That's so cool. It was incredible. So we got to do a bunch of different types of programs on the boat during that time and I mean right at the start our program was in St. Croix and it was right after Hurricane Maria and Irma went through Mm. so that area was just I mean it was devastated yeah when I flew in it was just blue tarps kind of covering almost every house that you could see oh gosh and then there were there's eight of the schools on the island of St. Croix were condemned and, like, shut down. Oh, no. To where only, like, the high school students went to school in the morning, and then they left, and all the teachers left and such, and then it switched over to the younger students in the afternoon. Oh, my gosh. That's And crazy. that was, for the whole year, these students only went to school for half a day. Yeah. So it was really great, because we got to do a ton of programming on the boat and really kind of give these kids an amazing experience that you don't always think of and some of these kids we take them and I loved the fifth grade age they were oh my gosh they're just adorable and we'd go out and they'd be like oh my gosh is that Puerto Rico and you're like no that's your home that's St. Croix like we just came (laughs) from there but they'd never left the island before so it was just incredible and to see like how tenacious these kids were. They would just work through anything and it didn't matter that they didn't have a roof over their head or power in the house. They just, oh, they made the teaching experience a hundred percent, like hundred percent worth it. That's so cool. That sounds amazing. And it sounds like you've had just a very like well-rounded experience in life and have seen so many different things. So that's really cool. And I think that's going to play into the next question that I ask you as long as, uh, unless there's anything else you wanted to talk about in regards um, to that. Oh, well, I guess recently, the one that I did recently, probably, I think the newest post that you saw was focused on a trip that I just did this last fall. And it was again on Roseway. And it was sailing from Boston down to Puerto Rico. 
but this year I got to be the marine science teacher. Cool. So I wasn't necessarily a deckhand doing the education, but I got to develop the curriculum and these 21 high school juniors and seniors became like my children on the boat and <laughs> they laughed, but I will forever call them that. And that was an incredible experience because I've been able to teach marine science externally, like in the Bahamas and in Georgia and on the boat before, but now it was opportunity to try and get more in depth with it and kind of follow through on some things. And even in regards to marine invertebrates, I did probably a couple of two in-depth lessons on <laughs> marine inverts, but it was really cool to get to like explore that realm of it and kind of have a good discussion with the students, focusing not just on the marine environment, but on the human impact aspect. Because I really love the fact that the students that I've worked with are not kids that are just focused on wanting to be marine biologists or wanting to be marine scientists or anything like that. They want to go to business school or they want to be a lawyer, be a nurse practitioner, or they just want to be a professional athlete or something like that. (laughs) And trying to get them to see the marine environment in a way that whatever they do, they can see the importance of it. Yeah. Like draw with the human impact aspect. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so interesting. Um, do you, so since you've done so much travel and, and seen so many things and talked to so many people, um, is there anything about climate change that you think like you'd like to communicate more to people that through your experiences and what you've seen? Oh boy. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's honestly crazy because you can almost go anywhere, whether it be within the United States or on some crazy island somewhere. You can go somewhere and talk to somebody that's local and they will tell you something that has changed, something that is different, some pattern that has shifted in what they're used to. And I love connecting with local communities wherever I go and talking to them. I find so much value in learning. I mean, even down in St. Croix, learning about like the reef habitats down there and how they've been affected because of the storms coming through and the intensity of those storms. Yeah. And honestly, with like climate change, like I just, I really hope people understand that it is something that is anthropogenic. Like humans are definitely pushing this to a limit that isn't natural, even though you do have those naturals up and downs in the environment. Like we are escalating this to a crazy degree and it I don't care if somebody wants to focus on just one area where the where climate change is affecting but I would encourage people to like look where they are and see what's happening around them and how that's shifted and try and figure out what what is causing that and I almost guarantee you're going to be able to connect it back to climate change Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And for young people, like, you know, recently the movement has been for young school-aged kids to get involved in protests and things like that. Do you have any advice um, of ways that they can get involved or even like programs, maybe even that you've taught, you know, experiences that not everyone maybe knows about that can really help them make a difference on the planet or at least like start that conversation with them? My best advice is just to do something. So it doesn't matter again what you want to grow up and be. You don't want, if you don't want to be 
scientists of some sort focused on the environment, that's fine. But if you want to care about that environment and you have to look at so many different sides of it, you can't just take one news article and take that as this is exactly how it is. This is factual. You have to really explore because Mm -hmm. a lot of things out there on climate change are opinionated. So making sure that what you're looking at is well-rounded and not just one-sided, I think that's super important and something that is slightly undervalued nowadays in regards to creating these opinions. Yeah. And honestly, it's okay if you don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of people... I know we're afraid of saying, I don't know when they're asked a question. And it could be a very tough question of like, do you believe this or that? But it's okay to not know something. And it's okay to be like, I need to take a little bit of time to try and understand this for myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you really start to get like a bigger picture of what's going on around you. Yeah. Have to get that background research, right? Exactly. But I think that's so true. Like, no matter what news source you look at or anything like that, there's always going to be a bias. Even if it's a bias that goes with your opinions, it is important to see both sides of of the argument and really kind of figure out what is the truth and and what goes right through the center. So I think that's a really great uh, piece of advice. Thank you. No problem. And so living in Illinois, um, I'm sure that you experience some different things than I do living in California on the coast. Um, what is it like, you know, in terms of like single use plastics in Illinois or just idea around climate change in general? Are there a lot of climate change deniers there? Uh, yeah, you definitely have your fair share of people who they don't really believe in climate change as you see in like protests that happened recently where kids are like out there really fighting for like, come on, we need to talk about climate change and Mm -hmm. bring about this conversation. You have some people that they don't really see the major effects on it. And a lot of it is because they're people that aren't necessarily working with the land. And even some people that are working with the land, they will still deny the aspects of climate change going on. But single-use plastics are something that, oh my goodness, they're my nemesis. Yeah. My parents laugh at me, but I have my, like, to-go silverware in my coat pocket with me and straw at, like, all times. And it's a lot of stuff that, like, even talking with my parents, they just never really... It's stuff that you never noticed with single-use plastics. And, like, I grew up in a big family. I'm the youngest of six. So it was always a very, like, fast-paced life, and all of us were involved in so many activities, so single-use plastic growing up wasn't necessarily something we consciously thought about but now like you see a lot of conscious like steps going into that and it's I, I actually did live in California for about five months I worked on the Tall Ship American Pride oh, okay and with Irving Johnson and XC Johnson so I got to do some fun sailing to Catalina Island and such and more education-based work there And it definitely was a different mood and different tone in regards to doing things for the environment and doing things to, like, I don't know, help human impact. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And when you were actually out, like, doing that plastics research, I mean, did you find plastic? Was it an everyday type of thing? Was it in every sample, hundreds of pieces in every sample? What was it like? Oh my gosh. Well, in all the surface water samples that we did, there were traces of plastic. Yeah. It was 
there was no denying that aspect of it. And this is in water to where you'd be, you could snorkel and you could see over a hundred feet down clear wow. as day. Yeah. So it's, it's not even that like very like large plastic, like water bottle, but like a lot of the microplastics that we're talking about there. But even so we'd have like wrappers and water bottles washing up on the beach that we lived on mm-hmm. or like the fish dissections. I think I went through like over 260 some stomachs, like personally dissecting them. And it was about 34% of them that had plastic in them. Oh, and that's gosh. just like one piece. Yeah. And, and that's whether what you could that see. be something that's more of like a small fragment or if it's like a line from fishing, because fishing gear is a huge impact to like plastics in the yeah. environment right yeah. now. Yeah. But it was, we did see a large variety of it. And it was kind of insane, even working with the students there and them being like, I would have never really suspected this area have that much garbage in its waters. Like you kind of expect it in the coastal environment. Like if you were looking off of the coast of Georgia, for instance, or even off the coast of California, like you'll find more trash wash up there. But finding it on these small islands that are just scattered in the Caribbean, that was a little bit that's kind of when you see it as more of an issue and more of something that really is kind of a global thing. Yeah, definitely. It's everywhere. Even in that like pristine, tropical, light blue water that everyone wants to dive in and it looks so nice. You're right. It's everywhere. It's it's a global problem for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, one more kind of sad question and then I have a funny question <laughs> and then we can talk about your obscure pun. Um, what would you have to say to climate change deniers? Ooh, again, I'd go back to really try and form a strong opinion about it. Because if your opinion is no, have like solidified facts or research that you think supports that. And hopefully you'll find that there isn't much that supports that. And you'll find more that points to the other side, but maybe in a different light that you haven't seen before. And I think, I think that's kind of the best way to go about it. Like you don't have to take a lot of people get really defensive about certain issues. I mean, especially in our current political climate, it's (laughs) kind of hard not for people to get triggered by certain things. Yeah. But I'd say really focus on, like, formulating your opinions and finding the research and finding articles that you can kind of go to to help back you up. Yeah, and even like you were saying earlier, right, like have multiple sources, not just one. Like don't take all of your news sources from NBC. Don't take all of it from Fox News. You know, have a good you know, sort of, 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 uh, different types of sources and and from different sides of the political spectrum, because you're right. Like it is important for people to form, form their own opinions for sure. Cause nobody, you know, just having a small conversation on the street, that's not going to change somebody's whole opinion about climate change, but they do need to do that research for themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Well, is there anything you else you wanted to plug or, um, talk about what you're doing next or anything like that before I move into a funny question for you? Well, (laughs) what's coming up next is definitely a big question mark in my world. So wish me luck trying to figure that out. But I was also really excited to hear about this podcast because invertebrates are so cool. They're like 90, what, 98% of all animals. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Are invertebrates. (laughs) 
So it's like super awesome that you're getting out there talking about this and doing research as well. So I applaud you on those efforts. Thank you. Thank you so much. I I love the research as or sorry, the education aspect of what you're doing too. I think that's so cool to just get out there and and really interact with kids one-on-one and show them the ocean. Like, that's so great. So thank you for all that you're doing. Um, of course. <laughs> but my funny question for you, and this is going back, like, a few conversations ago. Um, what is the strangest thing you've ever found on a beach cleanup? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Everyone has a story. <laughs> wow. Okay. I have – oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, I have found – well, balloons just make me angry in general, but yes. I found those out in the middle of the ocean. Those are just a, please stop using balloons, shameless plug. Yeah. But I have found, like, I think the grossest are, like, random medical supplies. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. And then even fishing, I think it's really funny when I find, like, random dolls or toys on the beach. Because you could tell that they used to be this really cute toy now, but now they're just like this sandy zombie, and it's they're horrifying. Covered in like ulva and gross, gross stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and there's like barnacles on its head, <laughs> and you're like, this is not a really cute baby anymore. Barbie that's princess. Like, oh, those are the creepiest things to find. Yeah, that's so funny. I once found a sex toy during a beach cleanup with second graders. Um, that was probably. Oh yeah. <laughs> have you found it's, anything it's fun when you find the protection and kids are like is this a balloon and you're like ah let's yes. put that in the bag yeah good yes, job that is a balloon yep I, <laughs> one time I was doing a beach cleanup with some younger kids as well and I I mean in Santa Cruz the reality is like we find syringes and needles on the beach a lot unfortunately yeah and how to explain that to young kids at first I had no idea until one day one kid was like oh so like if we find like a shot on the beach I was like yes exactly if you find a shot on the beach don't touch it do not you know don't even look at it just let me know that it's there and I'll come pick it up safely but oh my gosh the things that you find on the beach is just crazy yeah it's it's really <laughs> sad in that regards yeah definitely. I mean, all the fishing gear too is really hard to see because a lot of that's out of like innocence and whatnot but yeah. Did you ever find, like, was it mostly, like, line that you would find or nets or, or traps or? A large amount of it was, like, kind of just coiled up line mm-hmm. that had been, who knows, somebody was fishing and it got caught on a rock and then it got a jar from that rock and freed itself. And some of it is nets, too. And you'll find, like, buoys connected to it or even weights connected to it. Um, I always love when we find like five gallon buckets because of course being a marine biologist, they're like your best friend. Yes. So, so it's really nice to find one of those and you're like, yes, we got free gear. Yes. <laughs> I saw a post on Facebook the other day that actually referred to the five, the white five gallon bucket as the marine ecology bucket because everyone, every lab has one, at least one, probably <laughs> 10. And it's like, yeah, it's the most important piece of equipment we have. Yeah. Exactly. Oh my goodness. So underrated. (laughs) Yes, definitely. That's so funny. Well, thank you so much for being on my podcast today. And as we leave, do you have an obscure pun or something funny to say about invertebrates? Oh boy. Well, I love to incorporate what I do into my daily life. As you probably saw from emailing, my sign off is best fishes. Yeah. But I incorporate dolphinately and turtly and sharks <laughs> into my vocabulary on a daily basis 
to the point where my phone will not type definitely. It just goes straight to dolphinately. <laughs> and then I started saying snailed it to my students whenever they did something really well. I'd be oh, like, oh, snailed it. That's so cute. <laughs> but I love incorporating like those puns into just daily conversation. So it's almost kind of like super troopers when he starts saying now and they're like, you just say now? <laughs> yeah. Like it kind of catches people off guard, but I think it opens up a fun conversation. Especially in Illinois, I'm sure people probably look at you like, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah, but you're right. It does start a conversation. That's really awesome. Well, thank so, you. there you go. Use Dolphinately tomorrow and you'll <laughs> see somebody smile. I promise. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on my podcast today, Holly, and um, dealing with the struggle that is Skype and technology. And other than that, good luck with your search for what's next. And thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> and I'll talk to you again soon, okay? Perfect. Okay. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Hi. Sorry, me again. I just wanted to pop on and let you know that if you do want to get in contact with Holly, say you have a great job opportunity you'd like to offer her, that'd be great. Uh, her Instagram is at Holly R. Burr. Holly has two L's and Burr has three R's. So other than that, uh, you're welcome to follow me on Instagram too. I'm at Emily the Marine Biologist.